2: You are listening to Mist Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast, brought to you by at Off One Season on Instagram, an account bringing unique designs from the ages and keeping you entertained. Follow Off One Season on Twitter and Instagram today to learn more. Today's episode is called "Some Animals Are More Equal Than Others." I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt?
1: It's actually going pretty good, despite the amazingly long day I had yesterday.
2: Go on, then. Let's hear your humble brag. What were you doing yesterday that was so fantastic and tiring?
1: Well, you know, it was just one of those things. I got one of those calls to do the trumpet playing side of my life with, uh, you know, uh, a, a little band called the Drifters, who you might have heard of, you know, and some other people like the Donald Satins and the Deezes and the Doses. It happens every so often, you know.
2: I'm a little young for all those references, Matt, but I'm going to Google all of them. Nearly as good as my daughter's sixth birthday party, where we all got to dress up as superheroes. Now, talking about a hero of the Formula One world, a leader of gladiators and men, we are joined by former Lotus F1 boss Matthew Carter. How's it going, Mr. Carter?
3: Very good, very good. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm good. We're getting really, really pumped for the F1 season. We've actually seen cars on track. Is this the time you start to get excited or have you had all the information we've got for weeks now?
3: Uh, As in now looking at this season, or you mean historically when we were in this position in the past? Now looking forward, yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good season.
2: Yeah, I think it is going to be good. We're definitely going to ask what it was like because uniquely among the three of us, yes, you've not played with the Drifters, but you have done an f1 testing session yes not personally you in the car
3: no not me in the car no i did three yeah three years of uh, f1 testing and filming days which is what you'll often see before or sometimes after the the testing sessions
2: Now, we know you have an extensive knowledge of the inner circles of the F1 paddock, but now that you're comfy in the mist apex shed, we also want to get some general punditry from you as well, Matthew. So are you are you able to join our three-man panel to give your expert views and, crucially, wild speculation? Can you do that? Absolutely. Fantastic. Let's have a look at what is...
1: Big Dirty
2: News. The big dirty news is sort of you, Matthew Carter. We're calling it the Carter Directive. Teams will now have to provide the same modes with access to the same fuels. Matt, why don't you clarify a little bit what we're talking about? Because we did talk about it on the last show with Chris Stevens.
1: We did talk about it. And in essence, this is an attempt by the FIA to rein in as it were some teams being more equal than others um the feeling is and i think this came out although obviously uh when when you discussed it um when we discussed the whole uh mercedes giving you the extra engine mode it came out also very much with the uh, Renault toro Rosso. the the end of their the torrid end of their relationship did i get that word right i hope i did um, but in essence, the FIA is trying to level the playing field a little bit so that the manufacturers don't have access to more power with the same engine than their customer teams they are trying to make things more equal for the customers. And one big way the those distinctions were shaded ha- ha- has been through uh, special compounds of oil, a lot of which has been burned in the combustion chamber, as we know from the uh, various technical directives last year. And it's really, I think, just their attempt to address it, uh, to sum it up in a nutshell.
2: So this must be exactly what you would have wanted as a team boss.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean,
3: it's difficult, as we talked about before. The manufacturers of the engines are effective. I mean, you're a customer of of, of that manufacturer. So you are in some respects, bound to how they want you to run their engine because they understand how the engine works and the tolerances in the way, especially this season with the number of engines being reduced again. Um, I think, to a certain extent, you do have to bow a little bit to what the manufacturers are saying. Um, I think another one of the reasons they brought this in, much as I don't want to direct it away from, from us and, and what we talked about, no. I think the fact that um, Sauber are running a year-old engine uh, last year didn't go down very well with a lot of the teams and, uh, and and to a certain extent with the people that were viewing the sport as well. To see a car so far off the back of the grid with a year-old engine was, I mean, it just didn't look right in any way, shape or form. So I think by making them give them a, a current up-to-date engine, I think that probably is another one of the reasons they've done it.
1: That would be an actual question that I have. I mean, my understanding was that Sauber chose that year-old engine For financial reasons, not because Ferrari wouldn't have, I think Ferrari would have probably been okay selling them a brand new engine. They literally couldn't afford it.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was it. it, I I saw some paperwork when I was at Manor briefly. Um, They had a deal with Ferrari, if you remember, at the start of the 2015 season, you know, when they missed the first few races. Um, And that was because Ferrari couldn't provide or didn't provide the engines across the across the board as they needed to. So sometimes if Ferrari have only got so many components of their current engine, Haas obviously being there, well, it, it may change this year, but certainly last year Haas was their, probably their preferred second team, if you like. Um, I think that the, most of the parts would go to Ferrari first and then would dribble down to Haas um, and Sauber maybe with a year-old engine. I mean, it's difficult with a year-old engine because they still have to provide um, all the backup for it. Um, so to a certain extent, it would almost cost Ferrari more or cost 80 more to be supplying two different sorts of engines because you've got, you know, a current engine with all the current specifications. And then you've got a, a year old engine with all the year old specifications. So I think it's just cleaned it all up and made it all tidy and, and everyone's got the same engine. Um, with regard to the fuel with the modes and the, and the, the specific points that we were talking about, again, I I can't see how they can implement it because the reason that we were given that extra engine mode or the reason we were given access to, or the reason we were told that we could go into that engine mode was for a specific, at a specific time in a specific part of a race. Now I don't think that they can necessarily turn around and say to a team boss sitting on a wall, yes, you've got access to this whenever you need it because we could blow the engine up in one race. and, And how does that look for the manufacturer going forward? So if, all Mercedes customer teams are blowing engines up after two or three races, then it's not going to look good. And clearly Mercedes engineers and technicians know at which time they can run the engines in those modes. Um, So I think having access to all the engine modes, uh, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's changed. It's whether or not you would specifically have the right to access those engine modes whenever you need them.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's, even, yeah, it's even more tricky this season with the three engines. I mean, it was bad enough with the four engines, so it is quite critical they don't blow them up. Would this issue go away if you had cheaper engines that were only designed to last for one or two races?
3: Um, I, I guess to a certain extent, but, but that is all to do with the cost control or the, the attempts at cost control, because back in the day, they used to have as many engines as they wanted. They could qualify with one engine and race with a different engine.
2: And Rob Graham in the chat room says, was that mode burning more oil? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not as simple, is it, Matt, as just saying, let's just have the same software engine and modes. Uh, There's also other things to consider, such as how it's used, how it's cooled, um, whether they burn oil or not.
1: Go ahead. Say the word ancillaries in Summer's accent for me. Ancillaries. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's uh, ancillaries, advantage. I
2: suppose. There you go.
1: Heteroplytus brings up the excellent and true point. How, for example, does this affect uh, Force India being air-cooled contrary to Mercedes being water-cooled? Part of the problem is the parts of the cars that aren't supplied by the power unit manufacturers can be different, and this can affect what you can get out of the engine and how how you can best use it. And, and it sounds like to me, I, I mean, I think, uh, to put a gloss on it, basically what they're saying is uh, where you only had access to that special mode when Mercedes decided it was correct for you. It sounds like what the FIA is wanting to do is to let the team principal decide when to employ it and uh, when to employ it. So you have all the modes. You can choose to employ it. But you know, we've calculated that if you use it for more than you know three minutes a race you're going to blow up your engine early and that will cost you money so it, it just it's it's a it's uh it's a choice it's who's making that choice and the fact that you know it's there and you can choose to take the risk if that's what you feel is important for your team yeah
3: of course i mean it's almost a little bit like going back to Kers, where you where you had that button and you could choose when you were going to press that button for x number of seconds per lap it's it's kind of goes back to that that philosophy the other thing that you have to i mean and I hate to be the one that always brings it back sometimes to money and business. But, you know, these in, the engines are very expensive. Um, in our Mercedes-Benz contract that we had back in 2015, we were only allowed to do so many miles on testing engines. And we were only allowed to do so many miles on the, on the, on the race engines. So, therefore, what we would do in testing sometimes is that you, we, we couldn't run as much as the Mercedes-Benz team because we only had so many engines as part of our contract. And if you wanted an extra engine for testing, then you paid extra money for it. Um, which, which makes sense, you know, it's Mercedes uh, or, or Ferrari or Honda or Renault or a supplying engine, it's costing them money to do it. So they can only supply so many. So therefore, you are slightly restricted on what you do and when you do it. You also, as a, as a team principal, you don't want to be upsetting your engine manufacturer um, because they do bring upgrades. And I'm not sure how the FIA are going to deal with this, but upgrades always used to come through. The Mercedes-Benz team would get the upgrade first and then they'd filter down to the customer teams, maybe one or two events afterwards. Um, so if you've upset Mercedes Benz by running in some <laughs> engine mode that they don't particularly want you to run in, you know, could the update come to you lo- later than other teams? It's you know, it's it really is sort of opening a can of worms.
2: Yeah, and as is pointed out here in the chat room by you, American. Now he quotes uh, Toto Wolff as saying all the clients always get the same mapping. Now I'm not going to ask you to comment on that, but Horner said. Ask Claire Williams where the push for the Carter Directive came from. Now, I don't think Horner actually said Carter Directive. Uh, do, you, do you know what Christian Horner might be alluding to then? So do you think that maybe Claire Williams finds herself in a similar situation that you you did where they're saying, you know, well, well why can't we have these modes that you seem to have and we don't?
3: Of course. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, I, I'm not necessarily sure it's that, that you have them and we don't. It's it's having access to them. Because as I tried to explain before, we as a team, as, as I'll, I'll go back to refer to us as Lotus with Mercedes-Benz engines or with Renault engines, the Mercedes-Benz engine was run by Mercedes-Benz employees that sat in our garage. And they were the ones that decided which engine mode you had to go into. Now, they worked and were paid by Mercedes-Benz, not by Lotus. So whilst they had the best interest of us as Lotus at heart, they equally were working for Mercedes-Benz. So if a Mercedes-Benz car was behind us, was due to lap us, or because of a pit strategy we'd come out ahead of, or et cetera, et cetera, any one of a, a whole gander of different uh, options, then they could decide, okay, this is the engine mode that you go into for this period of time.
2: And certainly from my outside perspective, I wouldn't want to comment as somebody who knows anything. It certainly seemed like, Renault were perceived to have taken that kind of action with Toro Rosso when they were both fighting for sixth place last season. Now, this season, as they get higher up the field, potentially, and McLaren join them higher up the field, they're going to find themselves in and amongst four other Renault cars regularly. It does make you wonder whether they're going to fight back and push back against this directive now. Is there is there more than one way to ensure they still have an engine advantage.
3: But the thing, the thing is, and, and, and where this, it always seems to fall out like this in formula one is how on earth are the, are the FIA going to implement this? How yep. can they turn around and say, I mean, so Mercedes-Benz turned around and say, yes, everyone's got the same engine modes, but you can't go into that engine mode because, you know, you've run your engine at two, as, as Matt said earlier, you know, your engines running at too high temperature, therefore you've got to run it in this mode. There was all, I mean, these engines are so technical. I mean, and i I've regularly said I'm not an engineer. I'm not technically minded. But, you know, if someone from Mercedes-Benz is saying you're not recovering energy as quickly as you should be, therefore you need to clip your engine at the end of the straight, it, they're words. They don't, you know, I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking on the pit <laughs> wall, thinking, OK, right, we need to start clipping our engine at the end of the straights. What does that mean? Well, it, it means that you, you back off the gas maybe 50 yards earlier um, and then the engine regenerates and it recharges your the electrical hybrid system. Now, I I'm not Technically enough to be able to turn around and say to the Mercedes-Benz engineer, oh, I don't agree with that. We're not going to do that clipping because if you don't do the clipping, then technically your uh, hybrid system would not recharge and you wouldn't have any electrical power and you'd be down on power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very difficult, especially in the heat of a race, to be able to turn around and say, I don't agree with what that Mercedes engineer is saying or that Renault engineer is saying. So whilst I think – I'll try and wrap up quickly. Whilst I think they probably will have the same engine modes and they'll be available – Whether or not they'll be able to go into them anytime they want, I I can't see that they can allow that to happen. And I also can't see how they can police it.
2: Yeah. And for example, if a Renault of, say, Carlos Sainz is coming up behind Stoffel Van Dorn and suddenly the Renault engineer says, do you know what, guys? You're not going to believe this. Uh, I'm reading on Stoffel's car that you're you're overheating. And if you don't just back it off 5%, you're going to run into trouble. You, You know... That is obviously casting a wild aspersion to uh, Renault's tactics, but certainly we're still open to that that kind of uh, manipulation when you've got a guy sat in the garage, like a wolf, in the, there's, in the there's, so,
3: there's so much money involved in Formula One that it, it's naive to think that that isn't going to happen. And I'll, and I'll go out there and say it, and I said it last season, I, it's naive to think it's not going to happen because there is so much money difference between finishing 7th and 8th or finishing 5th and 6th in the in the Constructors' Championship. And it's one of the reasons that Ron Dennis went to Honda in the first place when he when he left Mercedes. Because when he was at Mercedes, he openly said, I think he said it out loud, he certainly said it to me, he never felt that he would be allowed to beat the Mercedes works team with a Mercedes engine. So therefore, he had to go down the route of, especially in, this, in, the, in the current format with the engines being so important, he therefore made the decision to go to Honda because he, they were the only team. As I think has been made public, he vetoed Honda supplying anyone else when they were supplying McLaren so that they were the only Honda team um, because he realized that it's, it's almost impossible to beat a works team with a works engine so because they 're so technical,
2: yeah, well, Red Bull would have got away with it last season because Renault were a bit further down the pack, sixth and seventh place. It will be interesting this season if if Renault uh, come you know a bit forward now we 've got a bit more of a technical question, which you might have some...
3: to, to, let me just, let me just pick up on that ever so quickly Go because for it. Red Bull um, are quite a specific Red Bull because of the the power that they had with their four wheel championships, if you like, when they had the Renault engine, and obviously they rebranded it Tag Heuer, but the Renault engine, they were given, Renault weren't in the sport at that time, so therefore they effectively got Renault's uh, full weight of the Renault behind them. So when we at Lotus had a Renault engine, we knew that Red Bull were getting parts ahead of us. We knew that they were getting the best engineers. We knew that all the best equipment was going to them from Renault. Um, what Red Bull also did was they employed a lot of their own engine uh, guys to help them to um, improve the Renault engine. So they've worked side by side with Renault to improve what Renault give them. So they're ever so slightly different in, in so much as I think that Red Bull have got a lot more uh, technical knowledge of the engine than I think a lot of, a lot of people realise.
2: And I'm sure... So therefore, I,
3: therefore, I think they can run it slightly differently. And, and I th- think they do run it slightly differently.
2: And I'm sure that spirit of cooperation will you know, continue even if they're fighting for a world title. So... Uh Callum uh, Springall in the chat room asked something of a technical question which I was thinking yesterday as I was walking through the snow how much difference would things like oil and fuel supplies and cooling make to a power unit relative to how another team is using it so we, we briefly touched upon some of the teams have got their own petrol deals and perhaps oil deals that are tied in with sponsorships does the Mercedes engine say optimally run on one kind of fuel although I believe currently all the Mercedes customers do use Petronas fuel, if I'm correct. Um, yeah. If a team d- decides to to divert, does it does it make a huge difference?
3: Well, that's exactly what happened to McLaren in 2014.
2: Aha! Explain. Uh,
3: so McLaren had an engine, uh, an oil deal with. Was it ESO? Maybe I think it was ESO, and the the it was a sponsorship and supply deal that was worth so much money that they refused or they didn't go with uh, Petronas. So they ran their own their their own fuel in 2014, at the start of the hybrid era. And apparently, the, the Mercedes Benz engineers told us when we went to Mercedes in 2015 that was the reason that they weren't as quick. They now they they, they could they could physically see. I mean, Petronas worked with Mercedes Benz through the whole of the development
1: of that hybrid engine. Now, yeah, go on, Matt. Sorry, you, I forgot to make my little here I am noise to you. Uh, but we've also heard uh, from, from your old friend Cyril that if any of the Renault customer teams uh, wish to run their own specification of fuel, it will cost an extra 5 million euros, I believe, for them to optimize the engine to that particular specification of fuel. So it makes yep. a big difference.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, that, you know, I, I keep coming back to the so much money in Formula One. That was exactly what happened with Mercedes-Benz and, um, and McLaren. So McLaren were obviously, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out, they were getting more money from Esso than it was going to cost them to pay the extra two Mercedes-Benz to run a different oil. Um, I mean, even we even, there was times when we were at Lotus when we were, t- <laughs> we were told that we could run the Petronas oil for the Mercedes-Benz, but we could put it into a Total um, oil barrel. <laughs> because Total had a special relationship with Roman, um, that which went back over years and years and years. So we were asking whether or not we could maintain Total oils and run them with a the Mercedes-Benz. And they said absolutely no. Well, they said we could. They gave us a price to do it, but they also said it's going to affect the performance of the car. So we didn't want to do it. But they said, we're happy for you to put Total barrels in the back of the garage and put Petronas oil in it.
2: Wow. Next you're going to tell me that Lewis Hamilton doesn't really sit and drink Monster Energy drink throughout the entire pre-race build-up. Uh, but it is fascinating to think back to, um, to 2014 when we were seeing a downward slide of McLaren anyway and everyone was wondering, you know, when they were arguing about saying, well, you will, you will never beat the works team. They weren't even the second best Mercedes team at the time though. You know, they were struggling against Force India and Williams.
3: Uh, it depends how early in the 2014 season you're talking. They were on the podium in Australia.
2: Nah, they always do well in Australia.
3: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't. Th- I, the 2014 season was was a very strange season anyway because it was the start of the hybrid era, and I don't think anyone really understood what was going on. Um, I think they probably did, other than the oil. I think they were probably a better car than the, than the Williams that season, even though Williams finished higher.
2: Hey Matt, let's talk about yeah. a bit of testing. What you what do you reckon? I can
3: go. I, in fact, just before sorry, before you go there, I can <laughs> go back to um, he carted us. go back to um the the fuels and and testing and 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 all the engines. so i mean the the engine that we were supplied by mercedes as as i said before you only got so much uh testing mileage out of that engine so therefore going to testing with um to, to test oils and to test fuels and to test everything it was all so strictly controlled by mercedes and by renault so they could control how much mileage you were doing in testing by how much fuel they were giving you by how much uh-huh. By how much mileage they would allow you to put onto your onto your engine, so everything was really strictly governed um and certainly back in twenty fifteen mercedes Benz were just out there lapping for fun and testing, whereas we had to sit in the garage for certain big periods of time because we simply couldn't put the mileage or the fuel into the into the car
2: oh yes, now. Certainly, I've always felt that one of Mercedes' huge advantages early on in the hybrid era was they were almost instantly reliable. And they got in probably more laps on the medium tyre than other teams did in total. I didn't kind of realise that that was mandated. Was, was there no other way around that then?
3: Uh, I th- again, for us at Lotus, it was, it, a lot of it was financial. So yes, I think from, from memory, I think it was an extra 750000 for an extra testing engine as part of the contract so on top of the on top of the contract that we were paying if we paid an extra 750 uh, euros then we got an extra engine that we could use in testing and i believe that williams did that because i remember one year we were sitting in the garage watching williams and mercedes go round and round and round and my guys were saying "Look, you know we can only do another 10 laps when you look at the testing as well when you look at the when you were talking about cooling uh, earlier on and uh, how the cooling affects it that is so you design depending on where you are in the grid and it almost falls back to the point of someone like a Haas would maybe have an advantage because they are using so much of Ferrari's uh, technologies and Ferrari's uh, information. But when you design the car, you design your own cooling systems. So yes, for sure. When you go to testing, you can. It happened to us with Renault when we went in 2014. We were overheating every time we went to. to and then you'll see them cut pieces of the. Uh, they, they actually physically cut <laughs> pieces of the, the 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 engine away or the, of, of the housing away just to just to allow more cooling to come through.
2: Uh, have you seen the new McLaren? It looks very small on the pod intake. Yeah. Uh, so you, you're wondering if they've. Um... And that has obviously
3: developed. That's obviously developed every year. You know, every every year the engines have got more and more efficient. Of every year, the the cooling has got better and better and better. Cooling was a huge 2014. Cooling was a huge thing. I don't know if you remember the um, the manners. They used to throw wet towels on the back of the car every time it came into the garage because they were they were worried about burning the the, the paintwork on the back of the car because they, they had it cut so tight to where the engine was.
2: Uh, Don Byrne in the chat room says, so when a car is suffering from, say, exhaust problems, it might be the engine supplier nobbling his customer, brackets, puts on his McLaren-branded aluminium thought shielding device, close brackets. Uh, okay, so, look, uh, let's get some words from you, Trumpets.
1: Well, I I just am having the thought that, in essence, these charges for the extra engine, these charges for the fuel will only give you this much, It really amounts to basically another financial stricture to keep the midfield in the midfield-ish. Or, 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 I mean, by midfield, obviously we're talking about how much money you really have to play with over the course of a whole season. And yeah, so exactly. I, thought, I, I thought it would be very interesting, given that, to go right this second and look at who ran the most laps in this first week of testing, because that should then therefore be a reflection of exactly what we're talking about. So, sorry about that, Spanners. I've just thrown you a curve. Uh, and it <laughs> turns out, not surprisingly, that Tara Rosso ran the most uh, the most uh, kilometers in the first week of testing, followed by Ferrari and Mercedes a little bit behind, and then. Kind of on a par, Sauber and Williams. And at the low end, we had Red Bull, um, McLaren. Kind of McLaren more than Red Bull, then Red Bull, Haas, and Force India way down the field. So interesting to think that Haas ran 870 kilometers versus Sauber's 1300.
2: So, Trumpets, are you are you trying to surmise? Then you've linked these statistics with what Matthew Carter is saying and perhaps Force India are finding themselves in a similar position where they're restricted on laps. Can you imagine, uh, Matthew Carter, that this is in fact the scenario? I can only surmise, but yes. Wild speculation. I
3: mean, Force India for sure were in a similar position to Lotus. Uh, Williams, I don't know how much money they're getting in from their drivers now, but certainly they were in a similar position as well. But Force India, for sure, would not have the money to pay for an extra testing engine. And if their contract was the same as the Mercedes-Benz contract that we mm-hmm. had, then they'll be restricted on the amount of running that they can do um and you can say that it's 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 a way of keeping the midfield teams in the midfield but again it's that's life isn't it it's you know that's if if they get some extra sponsors and they pay some extra dollars and they get some extra testing time so um and and Sauber have made the decision uh Sauber have gone to Ferrari they've got a current engine with their Alfa Romeo deal as far as I can work out i think they're probably getting some sort of uh, kickback help from Ferrari in some way shape or form Salfa
1: they've also taken Leclerc on as a driver. And that would be the difference to Haas as well. Of course, of course.
2: Cool. Ah, oh, We've got some wild speculation there and some actual thought. Matt, you have thrown me off, but I appreciate how you linked in a later item into what Matthew Carter was saying. So on this occasion, we'll allow it, but you can't deny me playing my little bumpery bit, can you? That's what gets our sponsors in jazzy intros trying to sound dead radio and that but we have definitely moved into the realm of testing trumpets why don't you kind of give us a little summary of what we've seen from testing time-wise and perhaps put it in a little bit of context because it was quite hard hard to tease out who was better than who and who'd done well and who hadn't
1: yes well fortunately there was no disagreement at all and in our little production group about what could possibly be learned through testing but it'll be nice to get Mr. Carter's um, opinion on it. And before I go any further, I do want to thank uh, Peter Lawishka, or at H-L-A-W-I-C-Z-K-A. All of these uh, statistics I'm about to give you are taken from his Twitter account, and I can only highly recommend, if you're into the technical aspect of the sport, that you do give him a follow. And let's start with times. Um, and he- here's an interesting statistic to look at. Improvement from 2017 to 2018. Things we know are different. Uh, Tires are different. Pirelli's made a big change in their tires. Um, But we haven't seen a big change in the chassis regulations as we did from 2016 to 2017. So this should be an an example of maybe development across 2017 plus the uh, effect of the new uh, Pirelli's. And some of these are hard to compare because they were set on different tires and obviously different weather conditions and probably slightly different fuel loads. But Haas, for example, went from a 122-118, being their fastest 2017 testing time, to a 120-317 on the same set of tires, on the same compound of tires. Now, that's going to be one faster based on how Pirelli's done it. So it would be like going from the soft to the super soft, for example— but still, that's an improvement of 1.8 seconds from last year to this year, which is not insignificant. Williams also stayed on the sauce. they only gained about nine tenths of a second. Although they have new drivers in, so well, I guess Stroll isn't a new driver, but anyway, I should probably not get into that. And then Ferrari, on the other hand, only gained, eh, you know, about three tenths, uh, about three tenths of a second.
2: So what you're saying without doubt for sure is that the midfield and rear teams have definitely gained more time than the, uh, than the front running teams. And it's all going to be squashed up basically like a be a, a load of beads on a string being tipped from one end to another for two hours of racing. Now, obviously, uh, that's not what you're implying at all, but we, we see um these times we look at improvements people suddenly come out and say oh this is a sign that mclaren are doing really well this is a sign that mercedes are going to dominate again uh, this is a sign that force india are in trouble but you've seen it from the inside matthew what what is the difference between what you can see and what we can see as pundits basically can we tell anything from what we've seen last week no <laughs> That's, and whilst so that's times, a fantastic so answer, it,
3: I I fully appreciate that fans just want to see the cars on the track and they want to they want to look at times. But certainly, this first testing period, times are completely irrelevant. They are, and the teams aren't interested in putting good times in particularly. Um, so I'll give you an example. I put so I had Charles Peak as our reserve driver in 2014. If you remember because he he was quite nasty to us in Spa. Um, but I managed to get him to the top of one of the day's timing sheets in our Renault engine in 2014 by putting almost enough fuel to get him around two laps, putting him on the super soft tyres and sending him out there. And he went to the top of the time sheets. Okay, but so you, there was, did, you did so that there was, on purpose to
2: get to the top of the time sheets? million percent. So oh. there's
3: there's a testing day and someone will, someone will dig it out. I'm sure it was 2014, I think. I think it was Jerez, I think, where we were testing them, but wherever it was. And we we got him to the top of the timesheets. And, you know, it was such a bluff. It was unbelievable. And they do do that. And you saw McLaren. If you look at the times, you look at the times from day four of testing. So I think Lewis was top on medium tyres and Van Dorn was second on what they call it now, ultra, hyper, mega, soft or whatever. But he was four grades of tyres better than, than, than Lewis and he was second. So why did McLaren do that? So they did that to get him second in the timesheets because on that day in history, people will look back at those timesheets and they'll say, look, McLaren was second fastest. Um, there's no way McLaren are second fastest. It's, it's, it, and, and, the other, and the teams aren't there to do that. They're there to, testing is all about, well, it's, it's testing. So although there's not been great changes in the in the chassis design, um during a season and this is a great stat that I was given when I first went to lotus during the season the car that finishes in abu dhabi is something like 90% different from the car that started in australia and that's every single part is constantly being developed every bolt nut screw piece of bodywork uh, and, and not just the aerodynamic areas everywhere is constantly being improved so between the end of the season and the start of the season the cars will be pretty much brand new so testing is all about, you know, they call, sometimes they call it a shakedown, sometimes they call it whatever, but it's get the driver in the car, get him out onto track and get him pounding around doing as many laps as possible to see what's going to break um and then you go and you test so this this first period is all about seeing what's going to break it's all about seeing you've probably got some new mechanics you've probably got some new guys in the pit lane that have never been before so there's all about integrating those guys in. if you've got new drivers the new drivers will have specific ways that they want to get in and out of the car would you believe they've got different ways of i mean we had so when i had pastor and roman they had two completely different ways of changing gear so, Roman would be very similar to a car, like a road car, where you go down on one side and up on the other. Pasta would ah. go away for up and towards for down. So, sometimes he could, so either either side, he could change up and down. So, that had to be reconfigured. And and then you've got, you know, there's, there's guys who have got to get their heads around. So, testing is all about just putting those, all that man hours and all those hundreds and hundreds of people uh into one place and into a car and to get out there and to go and drive it and to to see whether or not everything is doing exactly what you thought it was doing you've then once you start to realize that the car's not going to fall to pieces it's not going to overheat or the gearbox is working okay you can then start looking at the, when they put these big aero rakes on the side of the car and then they work out whether or not what's happening in the on, in real life is the same as what happens in the wind tunnel then as soon as they can get that correlation right then the second period of testing they can start saying right so we know that that is the same as what happens in the wind tunnels so now we can say if we put that new front wing on that we've designed is that going to affect the 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 wake over the rear of the car or whatever so testing times honestly in testing for this first week are almost irrelevant
2: so really Yeah, we're not telling anything from aero. I I would have presumed, naively, that people would turn up with an aero package ready to race. But if this is truly a shakedown, uh, it's kind of made me feel a bit useless, really. I think we've spent the last week, haven't we, Matt, sitting in the WhatsApp group, debating every little minutiae and detail and trying to tease out what we can. May as well have gone to bed.
3: No, but that is happening as well. That is happening as well. Don't don't get me wrong. There is, you know, they they are... They are testing different things. They're testing different areas. There's there's different concepts that they're trying. There's different, uh, all sorts of different things. And that, that is why they're testing. And that's why since testing has been reduced, they have to do it somewhere. You know, you can't do it. There's no other place that you can go and test whether or not um, the car's going to overheat.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think, and one thing that uh, was sort of tragic in terms of the weather. But one thing Pirelli would have been very interested in is how their new tires are actually working, despite the uh, surface at Barcelona being, uh, being entirely yeah. redone. Um, and at it, it least uh, on its face, the fact that the tires are seem to be working in terms of the... We didn't see a big spread, but they're also not exploding. Uh, but I do find it interesting to look at the same team on the same tire year over year, because it gives you a general idea of the sort of improvement that they've seen over the season, even though yes,
3: for sure. But, the, the, but then the clever journalists, and I remember this going back to that Charles Peak testing time. The clever journalists will realise when cars are going out with very little fuel because they can look at how many how many laps they've done. So if yeah. a car goes out, does one warm up lap, does a does a hot lap, and then comes straight back into the pits, <laughs> so they know it's only got a, a small amount of fuel in. If, uh, for example, Mercedes. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm probably Lewis's lap that he set was probably in the middle of a run of 50 laps or whatever. You know, they'll do, they'll try and run a race distance. They'll try and run everything. They're, they're trying to test everything to the, to the max. So they'll run a race distance. They'll do a, they'll do a full race simulation. Where Lewis will go out and do 30 laps, come into a pit stop, a racing pit stop, go out and do the rest of the rest of the the, the race simulation. So they're testing everything that they can. So whilst I said all that, and I am super negative, maybe <laughs> a little bit about that, you do also generally you'll see Mercedes, Ferrari, you'll see the order very, very similar in terms of times. So whilst they're not really trying, there will be a, the, the the natural order will pretty much be. What you're seeing at the moment, which is Mercedes and Ferrari at the front, uh, I think with Red Bull somewhere just behind, um, um, and then and then the rest of the team sort of falling below that.
2: I tell you what, the chat room are very interested in this whole glory runs thing. I think everybody's always talks about glory runs. Uh, and the one that I pointed to specifically was how suspicious it was that Williams didn't have a sponsor. I think it was in 2014. Uh, in fact, here we go. Rob Graham in the chat room, James Funnel in the chat room. Williams definitely did this in 2014. They seem to put in glory laps as well, perhaps with parts that they couldn't have raced with and then suddenly mercedes turn up as a sponsor probably not uh, unrelated we've got um nick alexander our panelist, has just sent me a whatsapp saying David hill complained in his autobiography that arrow sent him out with no fuel to lie their way up the timesheet it's not useful data but they needed sponsors. Looking faster attracts more sponsors. Surely they're onto it by now and and if they weren't already, uh, you've just you've you've completely confirmed it and surely now no one's going to sponsor anyone until Melbourne's uh, Q3 session has finished.
3: Well that presupposes that sponsors <laughs> only want to sponsor teams at the front, which doesn't happen. Sponsors sponsors want uh airtime sponsors want to be seen on the TV.
1: Does this mean we're going to have to call them Carter laps now?
2: Oh, man. Sounds yeah. Good.
3: Carter Sounds peak
2: good. laps. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 it is that. I mean, it's, what I was trying to say there is that sponsors don't necessarily need to be on the teams at the front. Don't forget the teams at the front cost more for sponsors than the, than the teams at the midfield and at the back end. And if there's a crash or if there's some interesting midfield, if Lewis Hamilton is 20 seconds clear at the front of the race, you're not going to see much on the TV. And that's what the sponsors are interested in. So if there's a if there's a great ding-dong battle between a Sauber and a Toro Rosso, then you maybe will see 20 laps of that.
1: Yeah. OK, so I, I do have a question for you because you are a, a team principal. And I'm wondering about uh, the team's priorities. Now, I know from Summers and from what you just mentioned that, that one of the biggest priorities would seem to be just the correlation between your CFD and your wind tunnel and what you're actually seeing on track. I know that another one is just basic mileage, like how many miles can we pile on the car to see what's going to break and what's going to be problematic and what's not. And then there's sort of this third one of uh, we need to get our drivers acclimated to how the car behaves this year. So we want to try and get get them the roughly equal amounts of miles. And it's probably, I'm guessing, more important the less experience the driver has. So which one of those, uh, when you have limited miles, because you have limited funds, which one of those comes first uh,
3: i think I think for us, um certainly limited miles and limited funds for for us, it was definitely all about making sure that the car was shaken down if you want to use that terminology that that, that it wasn't going to we weren't going to go to melbourne and the car wasn't going to overheat on the second lap or the gearbox wasn't going to go wasn't going to break on the, on the 10th lap so i think for us the priority was to make sure that everything was settled in the car that the design philosophy was working in so much as everything everything that we bolted onto the car worked and the car was going to complete race distance that was first um, the drivers probably is second. I think maybe the, the the drivers to make sure they're, as I just said, you know, a driver moving from one team to another, it's going to be very, very different. How the steering wheel is set up, for example. I know, uh, I think Lewis Hamilton talked about that when he first went to Mercedes. Did he not take him a year to get the steering wheel or the buttons on the steering wheel in the, in the correct in the correct places that he wanted them in? Um, so to get a driver in there. So whilst you can do that in the simulator back at, um, back at the factory, there's nothing like having it on, you know, having... having racing around a proper circuit whilst you're trying to change the buttons. As Pastor Maldonado, if you remember him going off in China or wherever it was, when he was trying to change a button on a corner and he he drove off onto the onto the grass. So, you know, real life getting the drivers in the car is important. And I think after that, so those those two things, certainly with limited, limited mileage, then you come on to aero. And again, with the smaller teams, that's maybe because of the money as well, because we're not bringing aero updates as often as, as the big teams. So I think Force India quite often talk about the fact that they'll do two or three big update packages during the season, whereas Mercedes and Red Bull. And-
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time.
3: Ferrari are doing a big update package every single race. They'll have a Melbourne specific race setup. They'll have a uh, Abu Dhabi specific race setup. So um so for the bigger teams I think aero is more important, and correlation is more important. For the smaller teams I think it's making sure that everything is working according to plan.
2: Slightly tangenting general question from that. How how do you deal with the fact that those teams are are so out of reach because uh, you know a lot of the things you've talked about and by the way thank you for being so frank and open, are the deltas between what you can do and what the, te- the top teams at the front can do. Is, is, it, is, it, is it not easy, but are you able to kind of settle yourself into the midfield battle you're going to have or the battle at the back you're going to have you know, without you know, just staring in the distance and going, why, why can't I be on their tail?
3: Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, sorry. Yes, it's fairly easy to say. I, I think, and again, I don't want to burst anyone's illusions, but I think that when you start the season, you very much know that you're not. So again, I can only go back to 2014, 2015 with Lotus. So if we were, if we found ourselves in a battle with Lewis Hamilton, whether he was coming up behind us to lap us, we would tell the drivers, you know, don't, don't ruin your tires. Don't, you know, don't, <laughs> don't ruin the, you know, don't overheat the tires Don't overheat the brakes. Don't, don't shred things fighting against something that is, it, that's not our battle. You know, let him go past and we're fighting with um, the force injury that's behind him.
2: Yeah. I know we don't want to hear that, but it's, it's probably quite realistic. It's- so back to testing a little bit, uh, we've, we've sort of heard about what you're trying to achieve, what the teams are trying to achieve. But I was wondering from a sporting point of view, does anything happen where you look at another team and go, oh, right, uh, they were our rivals and they've really got a march in this area. And as the chat room's asking, do the teams have GPS traces from the other cars yeah. to quantify how well they think the other teams are doing?
3: Absolutely you you can t- you have we have gps traces on every other team and every other car you know how fast they're going around a corner you know you know what speed they're carrying through turn six uh you know what speed they're doing on the on the straight etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know everything that's going on you've also got photographers that are paid to take pictures of the cars because when they're in especially in testing you'll see the the, the screens up the front of the garages a lot um so as soon as the car goes onto the track is the only time that it-
2: Oh, we've actually uh, just managed to lose Matthew Carter there for a second. Let's uh, give it a second, to see if he pops back in. Uh, well, in that case, let's just take a quick break to plug our Patreon page uh, while we're there. Uh I realised that Matt and I have to offer more to get people engaged in Patreon. It's been amazing that people have been willing to contribute for something that is definitely free and always will be to say, actually, do you know what, that's worthwhile us supporting it financially. It's amazing. We cannot thank those people enough. But now we're going to be a little bit more proactive and start to offer better incentives for people to sign up and be a patron. Patrons, for those who don't know, are people who go to patreon.com forward slash missed apex and decide to support us with regular micropayments, typically between 2 and $10. From now on, if you do this, you will get access to our unedited post-show waffle, which normally gets edited out of the video. You'll also get a fortnightly solo video logs from Matt and or myself. Uh, and it's it's nothing intense, just mobile videos of our thoughts from the week. Uh, now Matt, we have a big panel but it is you and I that are directly supported by Patreon. So I thought that maybe we could also have semi-regular video chats that's a little bit more loose, a little bit more free for the patrons to uh, consume. What do you reckon?
1: Uh, I, I reckon that along with the mug would make them happy.
2: Right, now you've just brought hardware into it and shipping and cost. No, let's just offer something ethereal and free to produce. Curse you, Trumpets.
1: No, that's okay. I, I think I think it's entirely appropriate. And I am hoping that it will uh, get a positive reception from the people who decided to support it.
2: Now, honestly... We had no idea that people wanted that post show stuff, but we received a surprising amount of requests from people who had missed the stream, but like the post show chats we had. And this is the other area where you guys are completely key. Without you, we would not have known that this is something people wanted. Your feedback is essential. But before you get too excited, we will point out the post show stuff isn't real content. It's not planned. Uh, and it's not always relevant to anything. So go to com forward slash support or navigate to the menu and click about and then support and consider becoming a patron of Missed Apex Podcast.
1: We have driver laps. And I thought I would just, since we talked about it, throw in who did the most laps and Surprising no one at all, it was Pierre Gasly at the top of the heap, followed very closely, interestingly, by Sebastian Vettel and Valtteri Botas. Everybody, time to play bingo. And at the bottom end, uh, including regular drivers only, actually, um, we have pretty much Lewis Hamilton and Kemi Raikkonen. So, I just now, now we all know that. And, uh, oh gosh, and the Force India drivers, who, of course, they didn't do very many laps because their car didn't do very many laps. But they didn't already, pay
3: for an engine.
1: <laughs> they didn't pay for an engine. And I had made this surmise just their miles that that Force India, and because we've heard a couple of other rumors uh, here and there, might be in uh, a period of their finances where money is very, very tight. And that that might be what we're seeing now might be a reflection of that, or it might just be a reflection of they decided they, the weather was not going to help them at all. And they would save their miles for next week. Also possible. Um, But when you're talking about steering wheels, Im- I- immediately what I thought of was uh, I recently watched Grand Prix driver that scene where they give Stoffel van Dorn the steering wheel and then they give him the thing and they're like, well, here's 9,000 pages of what it does. And uh, then they basically say to him and uh, oh yeah, Anything you don't like, we'll change it to whatever you want. And just look on his face. <laughs> how, how do you manage that with, the, with a brand new driver? I mean, don't you sort of have to take him by the hand and lead him through that process a little bit?
3: Of course you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I watched Grumpy drive as well, actually, the other day. And I, one of the things that really stood out for me, just to go off on a slight tangent, yeah. I was so pleased that they had exactly the same meetings as we used to have at Lotus even big mclaren with all their money and all their weight where they were talking about the fact they only had one floor because we used to have those meetings all the time it was you know we've only got one of this part we have only got one of that part we can only get that there so i was so pleased that mclaren were in the same boat and they were having the same heads in hands conversation that was it was it was really interesting but yeah the drivers yeah you they need to you need to you need to walk them through and you need to make sure the driver's comfortable obviously at the end of the day he needs to have whatever he needs to have to hand and in the right place that makes sense for him, because some of the drivers want to be able to press for a drink with one hand and or, or whatever. So it's it's all about making the driver as comfortable as possible. Um and yeah, you have to hold them you have to hold the hand and want them through it.
2: And now we've got a couple of points from the chat room and the panel as well. We've got a question here, a uh, conundrum, if you like, from Utter Shambles, who says, at the end of last year, people were clearly turning down the apparently quick Renault Power unit to survive races. Given the restricted testing, would Mr. Carter play safe or go for death and glory in Australia? So kind of what we were talking about before, about uh, team principals having unfettered access to all the modes. Do you really think that, that you would just go, I just want the result now, never mind six races time?
3: I, for sure, I would have done, yeah. If, if, if cards were off the table, if it was, you know, you can do whatever you want, but you can turn this engine up to full max then yes, we would, I, would, I would go for it because, uh, well, pretty much like we did in Spa in 2015, you know, it was, you know, Mercedes made the decision there to turn that engine up and to give us those extra engine modes because we, we got a podium and that podium did the world of good for the team, for the sponsors, for everyone. So if you can, if you can see that you're going you're gonna to make progress, then yeah, I would, uh, I'd absolutely give it full beans and not worry about the rest of the season.
2: And, and, and this is it. This is why I'm so upset about the three engines this season. It's not even about to do, about to do with cost or reliability versus performance. It's the sporting thing that you are going to be affected five races later by something or have to make a tactical decision to not go for seventh or eighth place in a race because you think, well, actually, Monza's coming up and we'll be fighting for podiums there. So that's where we need to spend our, you know our, our engine hours, and that that must be really frustrating for the teams i I,
3: I tend to agree with you, and I think maybe they 've gone a little bit too far, but it is all about twenty one races you know it 's all about having the best car over the, over that period of time and managing, and that 's the same as I, I'm trying to think of an analogy. I don't know. A, a soccer player not running, using all his energy up in the first five minutes of a game, um, and making sure that he lasts the full ninety minutes. You know, that's what that's what the sport is about. Mm. You know, it, it, it's it's about you know what's the what's the the classic phrase? Uh, in order to finish first, first you have to finish. Um, so you have to you have to do twenty-one races. And I think three engines is possibly going a little bit too far. But otherwise, you would just end up in a great big arms race of Mercedes-Benz putting a brand new engine in their car every single race and, and not allowing the customer teams to do it.
2: Trumpets. So you would, you,
3: you would almost make the gap bigger than, than, than
2: smaller. But Trumpets, surely it's like a footballer at halftime going, do you know what? It's a cup final on uh, Thursday. I'm just going to stroll around for the rest of the game.
1: Well, it is, but uh, as a potential counterpoint, if you only know you have the chance to be competitive in one or two races, and the championship is not really you know, uh, the at play for you relative to your sponsors, well, then, if you're going to run completely, uh, well, I guess I can't say this on this family safe show, if you're going to run completely flat out, and meantime, everybody else is trying to tiptoe around the second of their third engines to not blow it up before they get to the, the next specification, well, we might actually see some much more interesting racing as a direct result of that?
3: I mean, we just have to be a little bit careful that we don't go with flat out against tiptoeing around because, you know, obviously the margins are much, much narrower than that. But that does happen. I mean, Red Bull, for the last two or three seasons, have focused on Singapore um, as being a race that they are very, very good at. Um, because For whatever reason, because of the way that that that, that track is laid out and set up for them, their car works very well on that. And McLaren last year at Monaco. You know, McLaren knew that the only track that they really had a shot on was going, to be, was going to be Monaco. So they tried to configure their car for Monaco. didn't necessarily work. We did, we did the same thing when, when we had the Mercedes-Benz engines. Obviously, we knew that power was the, the power of the engine was going to be key for us. So we ran an incredibly low drag uh, setup at Monza um, and to a slightly lesser extent at Spa, which is where we, where we got the, the podium because we knew that you know on that power track with the Mercedes-Benz engine, we had a shell.
2: So, Trumpets, are you thinking that perhaps we might get Toro Rosso being in its experimental year with Honda, just kind of accepting, yeah, we're going to start at the back of the grid for three or four races. Yeah, we'll probably use eight power units, but my gosh, we're going to have two or three amazing races from the back.
1: Well, assuming Honda's on board with that financially, then yeah, you could be. You, uh, to me, that would, if I was Red Bull, that's exactly what I'd be willing to fund.
2: Lord Nuka in the chat room says, Matthew. Did Lotus ever use a race as an extended testing session? Something we hear in the commentary all the time. But did it ever happen?
3: Yeah, many times. So so often, if if I don't know if you'd had something had gone wrong with the car and it'd come into the pits and we'd had to and we'd had an incredibly long pit stop and you'd come back out in nineteenth twentieth place, then yeah, you would. Um, you, obviously you can't change anything that's on the car. you can't bring the car back into into the garage and put and you a, a completely different front wing or whatever on um but we used to we used to quite often go and run and um and, and just to, just to go through the simulation of of running on track so yes it would happen it would happen regularly so let's what run- we also used to do, which is quite interesting, is if both the cars were out, the guys on the pit wall would pick another car and they would try and run the race for that other car. So they would so they would stay sitting on the pit wall. So both our cars are out of the race, and they would go and pick, uh, I don't know, Bottas in the Williams when he was at Williams. And they would say, right, okay, so now we're going to try and run our strategy according to what Williams are doing and see whether or not we would pit him at the same time, what we would do. And therefore, between the two guys on the pit wall, they're effectively... Practicing real time what what they would do in a race, so the strategy that they would impose.
2: Oh, poor Lotus! Now I'm just getting images of like cool running type scenes, while the other teams are, uh, while Switzerland are, are there with their fancy things. You know, there's poor Lotus in their wooden <laughs> their, their wooden toboggan uh, going down the the streets of the Caribbean. Uh, right, okay, so I, I do want to get your opinion on the more political side of Formula One. I know uh, that you have you have deep connections that we're willing to probe and explore, but one of the things we found most fascinating this week has been the news that Formula One are essentially becoming a broadcaster. They've decided to launch uh, F1 TV, and they're going to supply via desktop at first and then through an app, basically broadcasts of the race using the Sky commentators But it does feel an awful lot like even though they can't do it in the UK because they've bought into a a sport that has a deal with Sky TV until I believe 2021, they've effectively said to the broadcasters around the world, we don't actually need broadcasters. We can broadcast ourselves. Your time is up.
3: Is is there a question? Was there a question in there? I just
2: kind of wanted your. What you could say is what an insightful uh, bit of punditry, Spanner. You (laughs) you seem to have summed it all
3: up. Basically, it's and again without wishing to be to be the stickler about this but it does come down to money at the end of the day so bernie signed deals with broadcasters all around the world and that was a big chunk of the money that was coming in liberty obviously liberty media are a media company they are they're a broadcasting company in america so they understand broadcasting I would say, better than Bernie stroke FOM did going back over the last 10-15 years. So they've probably decided, or they obviously have decided, and it unfortunately probably does come back down to money, that they don't need to take the big chunks of money from the broadcasters all around the world, that they can earn more money themselves doing it themselves. Um, And I guess as long as it doesn't affect, I mean, I I don't know how it's going to work, but as long as it doesn't affect the way that people watch the race, then it, it you know whether you pay your money to FOM or to Sky or to Canal Plus or whoever, then I, I, I don't really see it. it makes a huge difference.
2: So the question is, will it work? Yes. So yes, right. So in ten years' time, are we basically sitting? We're, we're in a world where to watch F one anywhere in the world, you've got your twelve dollar subscription to FOM.
3: I, I can see that happening. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the the, the world of broadcasting is changing hugely. I mean. So the the, the Formula One diaries or whatever that thing was called, Grand Prix driver, whatever that was called, I watched that on Amazon Prime. Um, So, you know, the world is changing. The way that you watch and you download uh, anything is is changing.
2: See, that was very popular with the insight into McLaren. It would be even more popular, don't you think, Trumpets, if, I don't know, say a a streaming service was to do that for Red Bull. You'd, You'd quite like to watch that, wouldn't you, Matt?
1: Well, or, you know, even dare I bring up other series that might already be engaged in this thing. Like uh, we've heard that maybe Formula E might be up to something similar in in terms of putting uh, our spies in the paddock have informed us. I don't know if you've heard anything that 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 there may be something going on along those fronts. I, I I'm not a team principal, but I would see that as pretty darn good in terms of maybe being able to attract sponsors to my team having access to a channel like that.
2: I'm going to take a wild guess. If Amazon did one, I'm going to say that perhaps Netflix are going to gonna want to have their piece of the pie as well. Complete wild speculation. Now, did you have a, a question or a point about F1 TV in general, Trumpets?
1: Well, I, I, I think the answer is we would like, from a team principal point of view, um, it doesn't matter to you as long as the images go out to more people? Or 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 would it matter to you?
3: Uh... I I don't think, I mean, so from a team principal point of view, all you're interested in is obviously the sponsors. So it's what's best for the sponsors. Um, And that generally is the more people that see it. Um, Depending on who your sponsors are, then you can talk about demographics and areas and regions. Um, But generally, the more people that see Formula One, then the the more sponsors are going to be encouraged to come in. Um, So, yeah, from that point of view, I don't think that the team principals really care who's showing it where around the world, as long as people are viewing it and it's and the, the, the
2: show and the sport is continued to be put on the way that it is. Now, if I was to lie to you, Matthew Carter, and say to you that we have five minutes of our scheduled pre-planned recording time left, I would then continue into what else I wanted to talk to you about had we not run over. Uh, are you okay for the minute, are you?
3: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know that
2: you have a lot to do with um, organising events, uh, for example, uh, and I'm not sure how much of that you can talk about but obviously F1's talking about going to a few new locations that might surprise people, uh, Hanao, Miami, Buenos Aires, uh, when people are really, they're wanting to go back to, you know, these classic European tracks. So yes, we're not going into the Middle East now, but we're going to, you know, places that that people might not in this modern era be familiar with, with F1. Is this something that excites you or does this, you know, scream of more uh, mayors wanting street circuits in their particular province?
3: Uh, well, I mean, there's lots of different um, areas to talk about. There, one thing that it doesn't worry me, but I think is is, is a little bit troubling, is that the number of races. I think if it gets much more than, and I appreciate from a from a spectator's point of view, they'd love there to be a race every weekend. But from a team's point of view, it's very very difficult. I think. 21 races is almost breaking point um and then you're going to end up in a situation where there's a potential that you would need to have two separate teams of people because Mm -hmm. i don't think you can ask the mechanics and the so bear in mind when i used to go to the races i used to arrive on a friday and leave on a sunday uh the guys were setting up the garage quite often arrive there on a tuesday or a wednesday um and leave maybe on the monday because they do take the the garages down very quickly if there's a back-to-back race um, you know, there, there's there's weeks, months on end when they don't see their families, they don't come back to the UK or for, to wherever they live. So I think more races isn't necessarily a good thing for the sport. Um, I think that the location of the races as a fan, if you like, um, I think as long as the tracks are interesting and they present opportunities for more overtaking, then I think, it's, I think it's a good thing. Um, if they're being selected because of where they are geographically or because of how much money they're giving to Formula One,
2: it's not necessarily a good thing. Which
3: one do you think um, more likely?
2: Just, just oh, wild speculation.
3: Well, I'd, Honestly, I think in the Bernie era, for sure it was all about money and that's why they ended up going to the places they went to. Going forward, I'm, I'm not so sure that Liberty aren't trying to put on, I'm not sure they're not looking at it from a slightly different angle in so much as they're saying, look, if we put on a really, really good show, then we're maybe going to get more money from from the TV, from the, the broadcasting rights. We're going to get more money from people that come to the events, et cetera, et cetera. So they might be looking at it from a slightly different angle. Um, I'm not 100% convinced, but uh, I, I think that could be the case.
2: Uh, okay, fantastic. We are definitely out of time now. However, I, I will need your expert opinion to give me weight. Our WhatsApp group, for our panellists, of which there's about 12, is just in a state of just constant argument and never more over the last three years than in preseason. Now I've been arguing, I think much like you, that we're going to see pretty much the status quo, maybe a surprise from Sauber, perhaps Red Bull uh getting, not having as bad a start as they did last season and starting a bit stronger. However, I've got two key arguments with people. Now, when I have these arguments, if you argue the status quo, you've got fans from every team saying, this is our year. This is the year that my driver slash team is going to come up. So I'm definitely going to lose some of these bets over the course of the season. I just want to know where you stand. Now, my main one is with panelist Anil Palmer. We have a bet between Renault and Force India. I think that Force India are going to continue to outperform their budget and that Renault haven't really shown that works team uh, potential so far. And I don't see any reason to think why they're suddenly going to jump three or four places. So wild speculation uh, on the line, Force India or Renault? Force India. Force India. You agree with me. Give me several reasons why so I can pummel a kneel into the dirt.
3: I still believe that the Mercedes-Benz engine is by far the most superior engine in the uh, series at the moment. And I think that Force India have now spent three years. This will be their fourth year with that engine. They understand how it works. They have got the same engineers, mechanics, etc. They've got two very good drivers. Um,
2: and Neil's and in I the chat think, room. I, I didn't think... realise he was in the chat room. <laughs> Suck it, Anil.
3: And my final point, which is possibly a little bit more controversial, is that I've seen firsthand how Renault operate and they have got a long way to go.
2: Fantastic. Trumpets?
1: Well, I would just add the following two things. Number one, we've heard from Renault that they will be operating with reduced power in order to focus on reliability at testing. And I've also seen a headline go by, though I will admit to being one of those bad people who did not bother to read the article, where the headline basically stated that they feel like, um, oh, what's the right word? They feel like clever use of penalties might be key to getting the most out of their power unit this season. So if you are a Renault customer, you're already talking about starting off basically with the 2017 engine in terms of power, although I'm sure most of them will be happy that they won't blow up like the last third of the season. And number two, you're already looking at at least one race starting from the back of the grid because they're going to need to introduce four separate specifications in order to really get where they want to throughout the course of the season.
3: So, so basically, just very, very quickly, what happened with Renault was during the end of the previous uh, engine era, when Red Bull were winning left, right and center, um, engines all pretty much came became on a par with each other. So whether it was Mercedes or, or, or Renault or Ferrari, um, Renault really, really cut down on the number of people and the personnel and the experience that they had in Viri in France. At the same time that Mercedes were ramping up because they knew that the new hybrid engine was going to come in. I'm not going to suggest that the French are in any way arrogant, um, but they 100% believed that because they had the history of uh, success with Red Bull, that they were going to be able to wander into this new engine era and they were going to be successful. So they didn't bother ramping up. They didn't bother particularly going down any special routes. And then when we started the 2014 season, well, I mean, history is there. It's written down. It's in black and white. I mean, we, testing for us, the 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 first few, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, the 2014 testing, but we didn't do any laps because every time we went out in the car, the um, MG UK shaft broke because they'd manufactured it. Uh, they, they'd made the engine with too small a hole. To hold the MGUK shaft, which twisted and broke. And it was completely impossible for them to do anything about it. So we literally didn't, every time the car went out on track, the MGUK broke and it came back in. And it was the same for Red Bull as well. So I think that the way that Renault are, so that was, so there was maybe four years, I would say that they were, three years, they were behind Mercedes Benz. And they, to this day, I don't think they are even remotely close to catching up. Um, I think they make a step forward every year, much like Honda. But I think that Mercedes-Benz and Ferrari probably make even more of a step forward. Um, as I keep saying, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer. I'm not particularly technically minded. But I remember taking uh, Nick Chester, who's my, who was the technical director at Lotus, when we moved from Renault to Mercedes to the first meeting with Mercedes, where they wheeled in a Mercedes-Benz engine on a, a, a like a rolling trolley um and he literally his jaw nearly hit the floor because he couldn't believe how small it was he couldn't believe how compact it was he couldn't believe how the thing was d- designed and structured and this was the first time so we'd agreed the deal but the first time we physically saw the engine it rolled in on this little on the on this rolling trolley to me, it didn't look any different. It just looked like an engine. <laughs> he was literally, he was almost yeah. wetting himself. He was just, this is incredible. And then <laughs> uh, there followed a stream of about half an hour of constant questions between him and Andy Cowell, who's the guy that runs yes. Mercedes-Benz engines, as to what this does and how that's worked and how that did that and how that did that. So it's Christmas. Et cetera,
2: et cetera. <laughs> it's Christmas for him. So, so
3: yeah. I. So I just... For me, I think that Renault are making strides, but I think they've still got, they've got an awfully long way to go to, to catch up to the back. I think that Red Bull flatter um, the Renault engine. My personal opinion is that I think Red Bull flatter the Renault engine because the Red Bull car is superb. Um, and I don't buy that McLaren say they've got the best uh, car in terms of design without the engine. I think that Red Bull do by far. I think Red, the Red Bull car with a Mercedes engine, it would beat Mercedes.
2: Well, McLaren um, was, um, I think- yeah. Sorry, yeah, I was going to say. Sorry, Toto.
3: I think Toto knows that as well, and I think that's why they wouldn't give him an engine. And I think that uh, Sergio Marconi knows that as well, and that's why he he wouldn't give Red Bull wouldn't get a Ferrari engine as well. I think the Red Bull is by far the best car on the grid, Um, and I think they've probably got the best drivers as well. So um, I think they flattered to deceive with Renault, and I think the Renault McLaren uh, Renault works team and McLaren are going to end up behind. For it's a long way of me saying that you're going to win the bet. So I think we can end up a little
2: way behind for Cindy No, no, it's a great answer, and I'm hoping we can get you on sometime before Australia <laughs> and sometime after the second test. So that what I'd love to do is to get you, me, Matt, perhaps Chris. Uh, and, and lay down sort of our markers in the sand of, of where we think everything's going to go. Because I I hate when we have these arguments and then later on in time, people don't remember exactly what yeah. it was they said. So I, I like I like getting it uh, nice and straight there. But yeah, the 2014 Renault was so bad that a four-time world champion got out of the car, basically cried and said he didn't want to do testing anymore. So I think that's testament to that as well. And then the last one is, Bradley Philpott, our racing X-Fan... Like, I am loath to argue with Bradley Philpott on anything to do with racing, but he is determined that McLaren are going to come out of the box, not only be race winners, but he says win it. No, good. Go I on, think no, that's fine. Re- no, honestly. Re- rewind, rewind
3: <laughs> thirty seconds or a minute or five minutes, whatever it was, and, and then replay that back
2: for the same thing.
3: I, do, I, I think the Renault engine is is probably better than where Honda were last year, but I don't think that. um, Again, my personal opinion is that I say that a lot because I was told to say that whenever I was at Lotus. I had to keep saying it was my personal opinion and not the opinion of Lotus or of anyone else. But my personal opinion is that McLaren, uh, again, have flattered to deceive a lot with their car. I think they set up the car knowing that the engine was bad so that they could say, well, look how good it goes around corners or whatever, because it's easy to put. Uh, a ton of downforce on a car, or it's easy to, to angle the rake of a car, knowing that you're not going to you're not looking for the speed down the straight because you're so bad. Um, and I think that was proved in quite a few races last year. I think Spa was one of the races where they specifically focused on sector two, which is very twisty and turny. And they and they just but they lost everything that was going past them on the straights. Um, and they do that because they then turn around, or Boullier then turns around and says, "Look at us in sector two. Look like how amazing our car is." Um, but it's easy to do that. I think you can do that with, I think you can do that with any car, but you know, it's, it's the car that's the quickest around the whole of the lap. And that means that you have to, you have to, therefore, you know, you have to go in a straight
2: line as well as go around the corners. I I love it. I couldn't agree more trumpets.
1: So basically you're saying that much of McLaren's season last year was essentially an exercise in desperately trying to attract sponsors, however they could.
3: Is that Ever in doubt? I thought thought that was. (laughs) I thought everyone knew that. Of of course, yeah. I mean, that's what that's that's what McLaren are all about at the moment. You know, that is that's their whole raison d'être at the moment is to get sponsors and to and to to try and push themselves forward. And it's um, again my opinion. It's it's a you don't have to do that here. It's fine. I know. Okay, so so it's, it's it's a it's a flailing swipe of the sword to to go back to Renault because the the, the Renault engine is clearly the clearly to me the third best engine there on yeah. the grid. So maybe slightly better than Honda, but you know to go to to Renault and say they're going to win races etc is and then and they will not be on par with Red Bull. Uh, there, there's I can I'll lay that one down as a mark if you want. They won't <laughs> be on par with Red Bull. Red Bull will be far superior.
2: Good. Just say whatever you want on here. We'll we'll just claim it's parody if we ever get dragged up in front of the law courts. Uh, Matt, we're wrapping up. What words do you want to tell us to bring this fantastic episode to a close?
1: Well, I just wanted to know if we could get one more opinion out of our guest before we went. <laughs> Sorry, we Matthew. That's okay. Uh, well, no, and only because it's such a business thing. Only because it's such a business thing. And if we don't have time, that's fine. I will say, look for me on the Twitters and we'll be good. But uh, we had the article about the the loss of revenue and uh, just curious as to your reaction with that. Is this Liberty making a good investment and the teams are going to have to suck it up and wait for it to pay off? Or would you, would you, be, would you have been, uh, as a principal, just upset about this and, and, and wishing that Liberty had gone a different way so that you didn't suffer any loss of revenue yourself as a team?
3: In t- sorry, in terms of what? In terms of the revenue that the teams are getting from Liberty?
1: Yeah, there was like what is about a 47 million uh, drop in overall revenue, which means the team split of it went down. It was- I do.
3: so would I as a team principal be upset with that? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's, that's as I think I've said before on the podcast, there's only, there's only two real forms of revenue that come into a Formula One team. It's sponsorship and the money you get from the the commercial rights holder. Um, and that's it, you know. And they're set in stone at the start of the season, pretty much. And and that's what you have to work with. So any reduction in that affects what you can do as a as a as a team. Um, I think Liberty are trying to look at the bigger picture, but yeah, I, I would, I, of course, I'd be upset. Of course, you know, if you um, and I think they increase the I, I, this is maybe a, a not so well known thing, but you pay an entry fee as well based on the amount of points that you got the season before. So that's a whole another interesting topic that towards the end of the season, you get to a point where if you start scoring points, Force India was a classic last season because they were so far ahead of fifth and so far behind third that when they were scoring points, it was costing them money. So every point they scored means that they had to pay more to enter into the competition for 2018. So what? I was looking at the screen thinking, Jesus, you know, I mean, they, every time they're ding-donging around for fourth and fifth, it's costing them another $100,000 for next year.
2: Well, the answer was simple. No team orders at Force India. Just let them clatter into each other. Maybe that's what they were doing all along.
1: Well, I think you need some Alonso-style retirements at that point. But uh, that's an FIA fee, though, not an F. Oh Exactly. Yes, yes, okay. of course. But it but it's sorry,
3: but it's a c it's a cost for the team, obviously. It's uh, yeah. you know it, it it's it's something that you have to pay. I don't know if you remember though when they released the list of entrants into the thing, sometimes they have a little asterisk next to them. And we had one of those because we didn't pay for a long time. We were we we missed our deadline once and we had a little asterisk next to us as being an entrant into the into the season.
2: Matthew Carter, we have definitely taken a lot of your time. You've been more than generous. No now, problem. now that you are effectively you know uh, let's call you this is your fourth visit you're, you're a regular on missed apex podcast <laughs> and you've made waves in the podcasting world the old paddock's been talking about you since you've been doing a bit of podcasting that means surely now you've got to embrace social media and become a twitter darling come on not yet not yet. Okay. Don't <laughs> guys. I will work on him. There is an account there. It's all like private and that, but we will come on. We'll tease it out of him. Matthew Carter. Thank you very much. Would you like to point anyone at anything at all? No, good. Matthew Trump is over there though. <laughs> he is a shameless self promoter. Surely you would like people to follow you on Twitter, Matt.
1: At Matt PT 55 on the Twitters and keep an eye out on my wife's account at aweaverright. She's got a new book dropping. For those of you who are fans of the and girls, she's got a little thing coming up just published by herself. And we may have some good news in the near future about some other things book wise. And yeah, there you go.
2: Matthew Trumpet's wife's books, a good value. It's a few quid. She'll be occupied for a little while while you do what you want. Then she'll want your attention soon afterwards. Who could ask for more? Follow me at Spanners Ready and follow the account of this podcast at Mist Apex F1. We noticed something now that we're regularly in the top 200 of the iTunes charts for uh, sports and professional sport. When we got just three extra ratings, we jumped up 20 spots in that chart. Why not help us out by going over to iTunes and leaving us a review? As long as it's five stars, you can slag off Matt and Chris as much as you want. Uh, let's see now. What else do we want to do? We want to tell you to join us after testing on Sunday next week, 8 p.m. We're also very soon going to be speaking to Jack Nichols and, believe it or not, we are going to be speaking to Mr. Gallagher, also of the BBC. So until next time, remember that wounds heal, ladies dig scars and glory. Last forever. This was Miss Apex with Matthew Carter. Sorry, it's your fault, Matthew. You were far too interesting and insightful. It's not our fault the time ran long.
3: It's okay. It's all good. Sunday uh, afternoon here,
2: it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's nice and relaxed. Once you get into it and having a nice sort of proper chat, I, I really want to get like your just general opinions about the sport now, but we just get driven down a tunnel because no, no. you've been no. there, and we go. Actually, no, I just want to ask you more stuff about the things you know. But uh, but at some point, like as we relax into the season, if you enjoy doing that kind of general punditry, we would love to have you as just like you know, as an expert witness sort of thing. Yeah, no
3: problem, no problem at
2: all. You always make me nervous when I ask you a long question. You go, yeah, go, oh you you bugger, I I know you've got more to say. I know it
1: particular question there um more
2: of an observation, really no it's not the thing is though i can see the twinkle in his eye and he's he knows full well that he's got a big answer but he's just going oh i've got you on the ropes there you b-. yeah
1: do we want to do comment of the week or not
2: tell you what matt just for a change why don't we do comment of the week uh, matt, uh matthew carter do you want us to let you go and then we'll do comment of the week no no, no i'm good awesome. oh okay fun, 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 fun. Uh, in that case um Matt, since I've forgotten Comment of the Week, we're going to get Matthew Carter here to be our final judge. Why don't you give us the contenders for Comment of the Week?
1: It's the
2: second week in a row I've forgotten it, trumpets. What's going on? It used it's to be all like over we this. do it
1: on purpose, except for, honestly, really we don't. Um, so we're going to work in reverse chronological order this time, starting with Evangelos Seterocleides. Quote, It's my personal opinion that allegedly it wouldn't be an exaggeration to suppose that McLaren will struggle for fourth and construct your championship and narrowly miss.
2: Get off the fence, Fonseca. Was it Fonseca?
0: Uh,
1: No, that was All right. Uh, Well, still going with, I'm not going to suggest that the French are arrogant, but I will explain what suggesting it sounds like. (laughs) Yes, that's in contention. That low self-continuing backwards, that green sheet is Matt's passive Patreon plea.
2: The whole show is a passive Patreon plea.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at us. We need all the help we can get.
2: There's holes in my jumper.
1: Yeah, I know. I I wear the same shirt every time. It's tragic. Uh, Phoenix, 2001. Much rather 100% of my money for watching F1 goes into F1 than most going to the Murdoch Mafia. I think that's A, but the A is missing. I support
2: uh, both our Sky and our Liberty overlords, whoever ends up winning the final battle.
1: Right. Uh, Dan Drury dropping the interesting factoid. You also know when and if they open their DRS, referring to the GPS trace, and how long for. That's a cheeky one in terms of chasing sponsors. Oh, Dom yes. Byrne, one of our favorites, getting into the chase with accepted Ferrari, where a chemi mile is approximately twice as long as a sub mile, referring to the mileage disparity between the two drivers. Um, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Clear skill, obviously having a bad day. I have an exam tomorrow, and you give me diaries of an F1 boss? Come on, it's so hard decision one of the uh, biggest compliments is that people com-
2: jump on the live stream after they get the notification and complain that there's a live stream on because that's just killed the next two hours of their evening
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh, i listen to podcasts as steve ridge normally I listen to podcasts at one and a half times speed this just sounds weird darren johnson getting in with the clever pun we were stuck with snow drifts trumpets was stuck with the drifters and Ian Erasmus, hello, first time I've managed to catch a live stream. So excited to finally see how the mediocrity is made. <laughs> Cheers. Lord, Lord, Lord <laughs> Nuker, the problem with alcohol is when you combine it with alcohol. Personally, I think I have to go with low stealth. But you have the final say there, Mr. Carter. What do
2: you? Think? Obviously, Matthew I, Carter, you were taking notes all the way through that. Who do you want to give it to? Uh,
3: clearly, the Renault arrogant comment. Reread French. that for us, Trumpet? French, yeah.
1: The second, I think the second one you said. Yeah, I'm not going to suggest the French are arrogant, but I will explain what suggesting it would look like. Low stuff, you are this week's winner of Comment of the Week. Comment of
0: the Week.
2: I just want to take this opportunity to say a great thank you to our French listeners for their devotion and commitment <laughs> over the years. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I can't mercy Baku. We love you. Good night Vienna. Good. I think we're clear. We'll, we'll, we'll call that the end of the audio. Uh, you are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Sorry, Mister Carter. I hate to be picky, but there was just a sniff what? through my intro there. <laughs> okay apologies no that's all right that's why i said have you got a cold so a bit, a he, he doesn't
1: he doesn't really I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this in confidence he doesn't really hate to be picky he <laughs> <is>.
2: <laughs> damn it busted stop giving away my secrets all right here we go being picky take two
0: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: This is the story of the Wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.